Welcome to this week's episode of the Big Book Living Alive podcast, a weekly podcast showcasing the 1993 Big Book Seminar presented by Joe and Charlie in Latrobe, Pennsylvania. I am your host, Brad S., and I am an alcoholic. How much pain and suffering do you want to carry? I enjoyed carrying my pain and suffering like a badge of honor, like a backpack full of dead weight dragged me around more than I dragged it around. One of the things that makes us tragically unique in this program is we all feel that our pain is so much worse than everyone else's. What I endured was so much deeper. My low was more than yours. And when you sit and you hear some of these people's stories, you're amazed how quickly you can be like, oh man, there but for the grace of God it would have been me. I didn't hit that spot. Wow, someone got to that point? Yes. We all do incredibly deep, tragic things when we're living in our pain of that alcoholic cycle. And until we find someone, something, some way to know that we can release that pain by letting go and changing, we'll just sit in it, as my friend said. We just sit in that dirty diaper. But whether there are big consequences or small repercussions, we are able to change. Let's hear what Joe and Charlie have to say this week about being willing to believe. We use Columbus as a perfect example of what you can do based on belief. You know, write down this little formula because I think it's really important. You know, we're absolutely convinced that when Columbus went on that first trip, he probably hired himself a special sailor and probably put him on the bow of the lead ship at night with a lantern, whispered in his ear. And he probably said, I believe this thing is round, but if you see the edge of this damn thing, you holler so we can get turned around. <laughs> now, in order to change anything, the first thing you gotta do is to be willing to change. Circumstances always make us willing to change. They were trying to find a new trade route. That was the circumstances that made Columbus willing to change from what he thought in the beginning to something different. The second thing you have to do is to believe you can change. As long as Columbus believed the world was flat, he could never have done what he did. So he was willing to change his belief from a flat world to a round world. But his belief really didn't do him any good because he's still standing on the shore of the ocean the day he expresses that belief. Some days, weeks, months, years later, Columbus made a decision. He said, by golly, I'm going to go find out whether this thing is flat or round. But the decision didn't make him any, do him any good either because he's still standing on the shore of the ocean the day he expresses his decision. Some days, weeks, or months, years later, Columbus began to take some action in order to carry out his decision. He went to the king of Portugal, tried to get the money from him. And the king of Portugal, being an astute business man, said, Columbus, there's no way I'm going to let you have this money. He said, you'll sail out there and sail right off the edge of this sucker and I'll lose it all. That's why he ended up with the Queen of Spain. He sweet-talked her out of the money <laughs> on the idea that he would bring back gold, silk, and spices. She gave him the money. He took the money, and he got three ships with it. He put provisions in it. He got crew members in it, and they began to go east by sailing west. 
And day after day after day after day, they took the action of sailing west. And one day, they found land on the other side. They got results from the action that they took. Now, we know that it was the West Indies he found. He thought it was the East Indies. But what he had proven himself is that the world is round. It's not flat. You won't sail off the edge of it. Now, he came back to Europe, and he went right back to the Queen of Spain, and she said, Columbus, where's the gold, silk, and spices you promised you would bring me? And he said, sweetheart, I didn't find any. But he said, I'll tell you what I'll do. If you will refinance me, I'll go back, and this time I'll find it. And she refinanced him. He got more ships. He got more crew members and more provisions, and they began to go east by sailing west, just like they did before, with one big exception. The second trip, he didn't hire that special sailor and put him on the bow of the lead ship at night because he knew that the world was round and you would not sail off the edge of it. The first trip, he went on belief. The second trip, he went on faith. Now, I'd like to tell you today that the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous are brand new, that the world has never seen anything like them. But if I did, I'd tell you a lie. Because the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous are based on the same principles that Columbus used in order to change from belief to knowledge. Step one is what makes us willing. Step two, we came to believe. Step three, we make a decision. But we're going to find out in our book the decision is no good unless we take the action necessary to carry it out. In steps 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, and 11, we take action. In step 12, we get results, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. Today, I do not believe that God will restore me to sanity. Today, I know that God will restore me to sanity because he has done so as the result of the action that I took. Now, those of us that have been restored to sanity, we can go back and we can help the next newcomer come to believe. Then he can make his decision, and then we can help him take that action, and then he'll have a spiritual awakening, and he'll know, and he can help the next newcomer come to believe. There's only one thing we can't do for the newcomer. We can't make him willing. How do you become willing? By drinking whiskey. And when you drink enough of it, when it damn near kills you, when you know that you absolutely cannot do that anymore, then you become willing to change. And then we'll help you believe, and we'll help you decide, and we'll help you take the actions, and then you can have a spiritual awakening, and then you go help the next one. It's a very simple formula. <clears throat> the world has known it for thousands of years. It never fails. I thought this was going to be a real complicated procedure. But it most certainly is not. Now, if I know I need the power, and if I know that the beginning of the starting of the power is simply to believe, and then if I know the program of action necessary to find that power, well, about the only other thing I've got to know is where am I going to find that power? And I think we're confused about that when we get here, too. You know, somewhere in my life as a kid growing up, I got a picture of God in my mind. And he was a tall, elderly gentleman standing on a cloud up in the sky. Long, flowing white robes on, long white hair, golden halo around his head, and sun rays shooting out of that halo. 
and as Joe said, a big stick in his right hand. He was looking and looking. Now, I don't, <laughs> I don't know where I got the idea, whether I saw the picture or whether I dreamed it, but I think part of that idea came from this. Every time I ever heard the minister talk about God, he always pointed up there. So I knew God had to be up there somewhere. But then what really confused me is every time the minister talked to God, he looked down here. You know, one time he's pointing up here, next time, no wonder we get confused as kids growing up on this God thing. I never knew where God was until I came to page 55 in the big book Alcoholics Anonymous, and it tells me exactly where I'm going to find him. You know, I was working for this, working with this young fellow in a halfway, uh, halfway house one time, and he asked me to be a sponsor, and I said, well, he said, what do you think I need to do? I said, well, I think you need to get a job, one thing. And he said, well, easy for you to say, I don't have a car. So I said, well, I'll take you back and forth and get you a job, and I'll take you back and forth to work till you get some money and you can ride the bus or whatever. So I did that, and one morning, and all the time I'm thinking I'm helping him, right? One morning he told me a story that changed my whole way of life. And he, the way he put this story was about the three wise men of the East, and they stole the crown of life from man, the thing that would make man the happiest. And they said, well, what are we going to do with this now? And one of the guys said, well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take it to the highest, highest mountain in the face of this earth, and we'll hide it in the highest, highest crevice, and they'll never find it. The other two said, yeah, but you know how, how they are. They're cunning, baffling, and powerful. They'll hunt, and they'll search, and they'll eventually find it. The other one said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll take it to the deepest, deepest oceans and hide it in the deepest, deepest crevice, and they'll never find it there. The other two said, yeah, but you know how they are. They'll hunt and they'll search and they'll eventually find it. And then one of the other ones said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll hide it within himself and he'll never look for it there. And that's where the last place on this face of this earth that I ever looked for God was within me. Page 55, first paragraph. Yet we've been seeing another kind of light, a spiritual liberation from this world. People who rose above their problems. They said God made these things possible and we only smiled. We've seen spiritual release, but like to tell ourselves it wasn't true. Actually, we were fooling ourselves, for deep down in every man, woman, and child is a fundamental idea of God. It may be obscured by calamity, by pomp, by worship of other things, but in some form or other it's there. For faith in a power greater than ourselves and miraculous demonstrations of that power in human lives are facts as old as man himself. We finally saw that faith in some kind of a God was a part of our makeup just as much as the feeling we had for a friend. Sometimes we had to search fearlessly, but he was there. He was as much a fact as we were. We found the great reality deep down within us. In the last analysis, it is only there that he may be found. It was so with us. You know, I believe my book is telling me that God dwells within me. And today I'm firmly convinced that every human being on earth has some form of basic knowledge probably lying at a subconscious level that seems to know the difference between right and wrong, that seems to be able to tell us what we shouldn't do and what we should do. And I'm satisfied that some people would like to call that common sense. Others might want to call it innate intelligence. Some might want to call it the conscience, and others probably refer to it as the soul. I don't think it really makes any difference what we call it as long as we recognize the fact that it is there. And I know it's there, and it's always been there in my life. And I've had evidence of it as far back as I can remember. 
Now, there's been times that I used to be getting ready to do something, and some voice from somewhere would say within myself, Charlie, I don't believe you ought to be doing this. <laughs> and I'd go, I wouldn't pay any attention to it. I'd go right ahead and do it, and I'd just get in one hell of a mess, and the same little voice would say, see, I told you not to do that in the first place. Now, if that's true, and if God dwells within me, then that means I've got my own personal God. I don't worry anymore about whether he's the God of the Baptist Church or not. I don't worry about whether he's the God of the Catholic Church, the Hebrew religion, or anybody else's religion. If he dwells within me, he's my God. And he and I can come together in very simple and very understandable terms. You see, my old ideas about God have been cast aside and replaced with an entirely new set of ideas. I don't believe he's hell, fire, and damnation anymore. I don't believe he's a God of justice. I believe he's a God of mercy. Thank God he isn't a God of justice. If he was, I wouldn't be sitting here today. And a hell of a lot of you guys wouldn't be here today either. <laughs> so surely, surely, through this little chapter, we get some brand new ideas about God. And through this little chapter, it has allowed me just enough information, changed my mind just enough, that I'm going to be able to make a decision. But without this chapter, I could never have made the decision. And the first thing I've got to do in the next chapter is make that decision. Based on old ideas, hell, fine brimstone, no way am I going to make that decision. Thank God for this chapter. It opened the door. It let me start. It gave me some new things to think about. And it set it up where God can prove to me that God exists. And he's a God of love and a God of mercy, not a God of justice. Columbus's transformation from belief into faith regarding how to go east to get west kind of fits how we think in the early days of the program. First thought wrong, you know, I'm not going to do that. Oh, okay, fine. I guess I'll do what's absolutely opposite of what everyone tells me because I can do that. These are the things that we do when we fight being willing to believe, when we try to capture for ourselves that uniqueness. My mother always said that people were like spaghetti. We can pull them, but we cannot push them. There's no way that I can make you change. It's not my job. But maybe I can help pull you in the right direction to look upwards instead of staring down, to show you by my experience, strength, and hope that there is something different and that change is possible and change can and does have a positive impact. You just need to crack open that door by becoming willing to believe. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode as much as I did. If you'd like just the raw Joe and Charlie portion of the podcast, that is available on our Patreon site. The link to that is available on our website or in the pinned comment. Until next week, this is the Big Book Living Alive, Joe and Charlie Podcast.